The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Brothers and sisters, I wish we had the time to just sing that song, that phrase, that chorus over and over again. Let it rest on us this morning that Jesus alone is worthy and that Jesus alone is holy. It is my pleasure to be here with you this morning. The text that we will be picking up is Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 4. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can find that, a chair Bible under your seat. That'll be on page 984. As you make your way there, I would like to begin with a story. The year was 2015. January 16th, about 7.30. My life changed forever. I remember standing in a spot similar to this one, my knees shaking, tears flowing. And to this moment, I do not recall a time where my heart beat so fast. You see, that day, I married my best friend. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, rib of my rib, we were united and made one. And that union had massive implications for my life. My union with my wife coincided with expectations, expectations that I would pursue her and think of her often, expectations that I would love her alone and forsake all others, expectations that apart from Christ, she would be where I turned to fulfill my physical and emotional needs. And I suspect, Parkwood being the faithful church that she is, that if I began to abandon these commitments, If I begin not meeting these expectations, you would remind me of that union. You would confront my misunderstanding of the covenant I took before God and his people. If I were to stop loving my wife as Christ loved the church, an intervention would not only be understandable, it would be necessary. Because regardless of what came from my mouth, my actions would reveal what I believed about that union. If I believed it to be a God-ordained way for me to glorify God by imaging his pursuit of his bride, my actions would show that. If I believed it to be, on the other hand, a man-ordained way of me satisfying my needs and my desires, my actions would show that also. Brothers and sisters, may I make the plea to you that this is why theology is important. Because what we believe impacts the way that we live. Paul is writing to a church who is believing incorrectly about their union, but it is not their union with their spouse that they are believing incorrectly about. It is their union with the very living Christ. Misinformation of this magnitude always leads to the worst possible outcome. Paul sees the disaster ahead and he intervenes with a gracious and loving letter to the Colossians. To understand what is happening in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we must first understand what was going on in the city of Colossae. 
You see, like us, the people of Colossae still struggled. We know that because of what Paul writes in Colossians 3.5. He says, put to death, therefore, that what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The people of Colossae still struggled with sin. They struggled with where to place their hope or where to look to for salvation. They struggled with feeling far from God. And so some of them began to doubt. They began to say that maybe Christ isn't enough. One author said it this way. He said, it was as if the Colossians were saying that faith in Christ is fine as far as it goes, but it is not sufficient. Christ is not a complete savior. He will not give you fullness of knowledge or holiness or power or joy. In short, they had begun to doubt the marvelous work that God had done in Christ. In their hearts, they were discrediting the cross. And it is into this context that Paul writes the letter to the Colossians. And hear me, I believe that it is into this context that Paul addresses us today. There are three major truths that we want to seek to grasp as we dive into this text. Number one, we must grasp the sure gravity and brilliance of our being united to Christ. We must grasp our need to seek the things that are above and set our minds on them. And we must grasp the reality of our hope in Christ being revealed in glory. In this letter, Paul prays, pleads, and preaches to that end. And it is my hope that you would bear with me as I seek to do the same. So would you stand with me for the reading of the word? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let us pray. Father, we come now confessing that you alone are sufficient for our salvation. You alone provide the grace that we need in the moment to moment, day by day, task that you call us to. You alone are sufficient to give life and hope and joy. And so God, would you open our eyes to see you more clearly this morning? Would you burden our hearts to seek you and set, set our minds on the things that are above? Would you help us, oh God, to submit our lives to you that we may find full joy in who you are. God, would you move me to the background and would you step forward and proclaim your word to your people by your power? That is my only hope this morning. So would you be exalted in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The main idea of the text this morning is that union with Christ compels our seeking the things above in light of our hope for glory. 
We want to begin with understanding that our union with Christ reveals the brilliance of our salvation. Paul begins with this phrase, if then. As we stand on the precipice of a new year, many of us have sank our hopes into if-thens for 2020. If I get married this year, then I'll be truly happy. If I lose the weight, then he'll love me again. Or if I make just a little bit more money, then I'll be secure. Many of us walked in here with our hopes and dreams riding on an if. And Paul says that there is one if that matters. If then you have been raised with Christ. Don't forget the context. The Colossians were tempted to place their hopes, or dare I say, they were tempted to place their ifs in other things. They were tempted to place them in what they could do for themselves or how they could bolster their own salvation. And Paul says, stop, slow down, see this. If then you have been raised with Christ. This if should determine everything about you. This is the most important thing. We know that there was a sin problem in Colossae, but Paul understood that the sin issue that they had was birthed from an issue of unbelief. Because, brothers and sisters, is it not true that when we don't see Christ clearly or when we don't comprehend salvation fully, God's goodness is distorted? Is it not true that our doubt begins to creep in and it creates a fertile environment for sin? So Paul does not just give them instruction to stop sinning. Instead, he spends the first half of the epistle laying a theological foundation underneath the feet of the Colossians. Before Paul gives any commands, he reminds them who Christ is and who they are in Christ. Turn with me to the beginning of the epistle. This is Colossians chapter 1. Hear how he starts the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers, what? In Christ at Colossae. So how does Paul address the rampant heresy infiltrating the Colossian church? That because we struggle, Christ must not be enough? Immediately, he seeks to remind them that they are in union with Christ. And he assures them that Christ is enough. So let me just acknowledge those of you who are here who at one point thought they placed their faith in Christ and had turned to him for salvation and then life got hard. And you bought the lie of the Colossians. Because life is hard, Christ must not be enough for my joy. He must not be enough for my peace, for my hope, or even for my salvation. Let me plead with you to hear how Paul responds to the Colossians and how he responds to us. He wants us to see, understand, and comprehend that Christ is God. And not only is he a sufficient hope for salvation, but brothers and sisters, he is the only hope. And so Paul seeks to unpack this throughout the text, and he picks it up here in chapter 3 where he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? 
Why are we to do those things? For we have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So we see here, in support of a command, seek the things that are above, Paul gives a foundational truth, namely that we are in Christ, united to him through both his death and resurrection. And we see it here in the text, do we not? He says, if then we have been raised with Christ. And he also says, and for you have died with him. So everything that is true of the believer rests in these two massive realities. Or to say it another way, this should be the biggest if in your life. There is nothing more pressing than our union with Christ. Nothing more compelling or important. The ifs of bigger house, bigger car, and bigger budget, bigger budget pale in comparison. Because Christ is God. And this is the point he is trying to make that we, brothers and sisters, are united to him. We hear this all the time, do we not? We seek to understand and comprehend, but it's hard to get our hands around. But Paul wants us to understand that Christ is in us and we are in him. That we, brothers and sisters, are branches connected to the vine. And that we, brothers and sisters, are united to him in his body. We are members of the body of Christ us, united to God. You see, the Colossians were confused. Their doubts were rooted in an unclear picture of Christ. They sought fullness elsewhere because they they could not see God. And I think, brothers and sisters, that that is where we are a lot of the time. We do not see Christ as wisdom, so we seek the wisdom of the world. We do not see him as our protection, so we seek to protect ourselves at all costs. We do not see him as our treasure, so we seek to gather our treasure here. And Paul says, no, pause, wait, see God, and recognize that you are united to him. If you have been raised with Christ, then God dwells in you. We struggle to take that and move it from our minds to our hearts, but Paul desperately wants us to see this. Let us not treat this as trivial. Let us hear this anew this morning that God lives in us. Paul says in Colossians 2.10, for in him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then he says something amazing. He says, in you, us, we, church, have been filled in him. Let that sweep over us this morning. That our union with Christ, the fullness of God, is filling us. That through the death and resurrection, we have died and been raised with Christ as well. And is this not the heart of the gospel? That we have died and raised with Christ? We know our former condition, do we not? That we were alienated from God. We stood guilty before him because of our sin. His wrath was kindled against us and we were without hope. There was nothing that we could do but God. But God, because of the rich grace and love that he had for us, visited us from heaven. He took our sin upon himself and extended full forgiveness. And through faith, he has united us to himself for all who trust in Christ for their salvation. 
So brothers and sisters, I proclaim with Paul that Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. And the brilliance of what God has done in Christ should floor us. We should not sit here casually taking it for granted as if Christ owed us salvation. No, he came and died on our behalf and Christ has united us to him. How does he impact this? Paul handles our union with Christ substantially in chapter two. Starting in verse 11, he explains our death. He says, in him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So Paul describes our death as spiritual circumcision, not initiated by the hands of men. Our death is a death that God originated and he's cutting away at our flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Therefore, we are dead, right? We died when we were united to Christ. We must say with Paul that I have been crucified with Christ, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And how do I live now? We must say that the life that I live in the flesh, we live by the Son of God. Our lives are hidden with Christ. So there are three major truths for all who are united with Christ. Number one, we have died to the power of sin. We see in Colossians 2.20 that if if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Why is if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Or in Romans 6, 2, he says, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? So how do we apply this to our day-to-day lives? That our union with Christ must impact us? Paul is proclaiming that we must walk free of continual unrepentant sin. Is that true of us, brothers and sisters? Is that true that we are those who have set our lives apart and submitted them to the call of God to walk in purity and holiness? Number two, we have died to the penalty of sin. This is amazing. One pastor said it this way. He asked the question, in what sense has the believer died? He says, in the sense that the penalty for sin has been paid. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, we must die. But by our union with Christ, we die the required death in him. Thus, the penalty is paid and sin can never claim us again. We have thus died to sin in the sense that its penalty has been paid. Brothers and sisters, is this not glorious truth? That Christ in us and we in Christ have paid the penalty that the wrath of God no longer sits heavily upon us, but that wrath has been satisfied for our sin when we died with Christ. This is wonderful news. And thirdly, we have been united to Christ in his death that we may be united to him in his resurrection. There is no gospel with just the cross. We must have the resurrection. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul continues. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So God did not only unite us with Christ in his death, but he also, through faith in the powerful working of God, raised us with Christ. Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. It ensures our glorification and it ensures our justification. He continues in verse 13, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it on a cross. So do you see this, brothers and sisters, that our resurrection means forgiven sins, that our union with Christ means a canceled debt? Paul desperately wants us to see that apart from Christ, but apart from our union, we stand before God condemned. We have broken his law, defiled his creation, and despised his love. He wants us to see that our only hope for mankind is reconciliation with God through union with Christ. Only those who are united with him through faith shall have life, hope, joy, and salvation. This is Paul's message to the Colossians, and it is also his message to us. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, there is fullness. His fullness has passed into our emptiness. His righteousness into our sinfulness. His life into our death. And Paul says, if this is true of you, if you have died, if you have been raised with Christ, there is something you must do. You must dedicate your life to pursuing these things. You must, in other words, seek the things that are above. So just as our union with Christ reveals the brilliance of our salvation, union with Christ compels our seeking and setting on the things above. I will read the text again. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So as we have already clarified, our union with Christ has massive implications for our lives. We see this in verse 3 where Paul asserts that our life, our very life, is hidden with Christ. For the believer, they no longer live unto themselves. No, his life is lived in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. Paul makes this unmistakably clear in Romans 6, 3 and 4. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we have not just been raised, brothers and sisters. We have been raised with purpose. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. According to Paul, being raised is synonymous with this walking. Now, you may be looking at the text and looking at my outline in your notes, and you may have the question. It looks to me like union with Christ means that we seek and set. 
It looks to me that this is more of an aspiration and a mindset than an action. So tell me, preacher, what is it? Is it seeking and setting or, or is it walking and doing? Well, Paul would say yes and yes. You see, in Paul's mind, seeking and setting always leads to doing. So as we seek to press into the test, let us just take a step back and look at and ask some basic questions. Paul has given us two clear commands, two imperatives here for all who are united with Christ. We are to seek the things that are above and we are to set our minds on these things. Our seeking is to suggest a striving to obtain, seeking to grasp and get our minds around, seeking to comprehend truth that impacts our lives and our hearts. The setting is to suggest a concentrated meditation, a pondering that consumes and a devotion to mentally ascending into heavenly realities. Paul is describing a scenario where both our hearts and our minds go after the things above. Which poses the question, well, what are the things above? Right? When we hear a phrase like that, the things above, we're tempted to think of a dude in a tie-dye t-shirt exiting a smoky van. Right? But Paul is not some hippie philosopher wrapping important instruction in a seemingly ambiguous language. On the contrary, guys, he is highlighting life-altering truth. So when we come to the text, let us not come casually. Let us come with our hearts and our minds seeking the, the meaning of what Paul is doing here. The question we must ask is, what does Paul have in mind when he says the things above? What is, what is he trying to communicate? Does he mean the physical things of heaven, such as Christ's literal throne? Is he asking us to seek heavenly geography? I don't believe so. I don't think this is about golden streets and mansions. I believe that Paul's desire and even his expectation is that we seek, set our minds on, understand, and comprehend the glorious realities of the gospel. Paul's desire is that we seek Christ, that we set our minds on union with him, that we understand his will, and that we comprehend the mystery of Christ in us. If you will, be prepared to flip with me through Colossians because he presents this clearly all throughout the letter. We see that in Colossians 1.9, he prays for it. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Praying what, Paul? He is asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In chapter 2, verse 2, he labors for it. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. What is he laboring for? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. What is that mystery? Which is Christ in whom are hidden all treasure and wisdom and knowledge. In 125, he said that it is the very purpose of his ministry. He said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that, <coughs> excuse me, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Those who are united with Christ are commanded to seek these things, to set their minds on these things. Brothers and sisters, is this true of us? Do we seek and set this way? Look how Paul models it, right? He models prayer. He labors with the saints, and he sought the fullness of God's word. So, like, let's press it into practicality. Are we doing these things? Are we praying, right? Are we praying that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will? Paul has commanded that we seek. So how is your prayer life, right? Are you pleading with God for his nearness? Are you crying out for his grace? Are you laboring together in love with the saints, in order that you may have the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Brothers and sisters, the yous in this text, they are plural. You, you and me, we are united to Christ. So are you doing life together? In the context of your growth groups, are you discipling and being discipled for the sake of full assurance and knowledge of Christ? Are you giving of yourself in order that you may have gospel impact in your communities? This is the call of Christianity. Are we seeking to have the word of God fully known? This is the question, that we may comprehend Christ in us, the hope of glory. Are you reading your Bible as if it is God's word spoken to you? Are you seeking to be renewed and transformed? Are we seeking God like this? Our union with Christ compels us to. It is Paul's expectation that we be blown away and thus compelled to seek after these realities with all our hearts and ponder them with our devotions of our mind. So, would you just take a moment to do this with me? All right? Would you just take a moment to seek Christ? When was the last time that you were in awe of the truth that we are united to Christ? Paul desperately wants the Colossians to understand this. Turn with me to Colossians 1.15. Paul begins... He wants us to see Christ clearly and understand that we are united with him. He begins that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the creator of everything. He is before all things and holding all things together. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then he makes this left turn and he says something super crazy. He says, and he, Christ, the image of the invisible God, made peace with us by the blood of his cross. Brothers and sisters, this is the single most ponder-worthy truth in all of the universe. Seriously, how do we start with verse 15 and end in verse 20? How do we start with the creator and end with the cross? 
How are you and I who are dirty and filthy and sinful united with God? Do we ponder on these things? Father, forgive us for we have sought comfort and set our minds on Instagram. Oh God, forgive us for like the Colossians, we doubt the truth that we are united with you. We pray like the man with the son who had a demon in him. God, help our unbelief. Teach us to seek. Help our minds to set on these truths. That Christ came and died so that we could be one with him. Paul does not call us to seek just for the sake of seeking. He knows that as we comprehend the mystery of Christ in us, we will be transformed. Turn with me to Colossians 1, 9, one more time. He says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. Why? Why, guys? He says it right here in the text. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those who seek the things above walk in a manner worthy of Christ. John MacArthur said it this way. Paul begins by calling the readers to a preoccupation with heavenly realities. We understood that this is the hallmark of true spirituality and the starting point for practical holiness. Brothers and sisters, seeking the things above will change us. It is the sort of change that comes from complete identification with another. Understanding that we are united with Christ. Our service of him becomes all-consuming. It is the basic determiner of all our priorities. It is the bubbling spring of all our motivations. And it provides a resolution that perseveres despite even the most devastating setbacks. Brothers and sisters, what we seek both determines and describes what we love. Therefore, Paul pleads with us, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. So is your mental energy spent jockeying for position or in prayer? Do we run ourselves ragged pursuing worldly possessions or the word of God? Are we overwhelmed by the fact that we are united with Christ? This union has massive implications for our lives. This union means that our past is forgiven. It means that we are counted as holy right now. How sufficient, how sufficient are these reasons for pursuing the heart of God and pondering his union? But there is more. For the God who gives freely all things continues to give freely to us. There are additional motivations for glorying in the union with Christ. Namely, the truth that union with Christ promises the revelation of glory. Paul continues in verse 3. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
So who is it that will appear with God on that day? Those who on this day find their lives hidden with Christ. So for all whose lives are hidden with Christ now, for all who no longer live lives unto themselves, our hope is this, that we will be revealed with Christ in future glory. Not only has our past and present been impacted by this union, but so far reaching is this union that Paul will say that it will impact our entire eternity. Our past pardoned, our present provided, and our hope restored. The future of every blood-bought believer is stated here. We will be revealed with God in glory. We, undeserving, will participate with Christ. So sure of this is Paul that in Romans 8, he speaks of it as if it has already happened. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has also glorified. Is this not a great hope that because we are united with Christ, we find ourselves in participation with him? We participated with him in in his death on the cross. We have been called to participate with him in his suffering. We have participated with him in his resurrection. And now Paul says that when Christ is glorified, our union means that we will be glorified also. The climax of our union will come on that day when the horn blows and the sky cracks and our God, Savior, and King appears. The culmination of all creation is Jesus, eyes like fire, feet like bronze. On that day, we too will be revealed in glory with God. And John says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And Paul, communicating the exact same message, says that we shall appear also. Appear meaning that what faith has known all along about our union with Christ will be revealed to ourselves in a watching world. That which we have sought after in the face of doubt and persecution will be vindicated. We will be proved right for setting aside and casting off the cares of this world in pursuit of another. In the meantime, brothers and sisters, we must persevere. Seeking the things of God are hard. They are not easy. We are doubted and misunderstood. Setting our minds on the things of God, they are difficult. The allures of this world are enticing. Our faith is tested. At times we are unsure We sometimes feel far from God and our love grows hot and cold. So what is to keep us in these moments? What motivates us to seek when the Bible is dry and his people are hard? Paul says this, this, that when Christ is revealed, you will be revealed also in glory. This is the hope that causes us to persevere. This is how we press on to believe that our sins are truly forgiven. How we persist in the belief that we have been moved from darkness into light. How we love our neighbors when they do not seek our love or how we give of ourselves sacrificially. It is the hope of glory that constrains us to faithfulness. 
are knowing that when we appear with Christ, this world will pass away. In Colossians 1.5, Paul asserts that the Colossians worked out their faith and loved their neighbor because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. In Colossians 1.23, he says that we will be presented blameless before God if we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And in 123, what does he say that hope is? Put your finger on it. See it. What does, Christ, what does Paul say that hope is for us? What is the hope of the gospel? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I ask you again, where are you placing your hopes for this new year? What will you seek and set in 2020? Or let me ask it this way. This is my so what. Has our union with Christ transformed our hungers, habits, and hopes? If you would just linger over this question with me for a moment. If you would just think on the things that you sought after this year. Think on the things that you continually did and the hopes that motivated those actions. Now ask yourself the question, have I been transformed by my union with Christ? Or maybe even the more pressing question is, have I been united with Christ? Has my life proved this out? We began here and we are going to end here. The very next verse is Colossians 3.5. Paul says, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, etc. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So has your union with Christ resulted in the mortification of sin? If not, Paul says that we are still under wrath. Brothers and sisters, our union with Christ means that we no longer need to fear the wrath of God. We are those instead who long for his coming. We are those who say, come, Lord Jesus. In Colossians 3.9, he continues. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And asking ourselves this question, have we been transformed by our union with Christ? We must ask ourselves, are these things true of us? Has our union with Christ caused us to put off the old things that we once sought? Has it caused us to put on a new identity in Christ alone? Are we being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator? Saints, we are called to seek after these things. We are called to hope for these things. Our God has called those who were once far off to draw near. And it is my prayer that we would do those things. Let us pray to that end. Father, I confess that in my own life, I often find it difficult to believe that I am united to you. To believe that you loved me enough to call me out of my sin and into your marvelous light. I confess understanding it intellectually, but I confess that it, 
it rarely impacts my heart the way I desire to. I do not think I would be wrong in assuming that that is the case for many of us. So God, would you open our eyes to this reality that we are united to you? Would you make us clearly see your goodness and your faithfulness toward us? And would you call us to be more like you every day? We pray all these things in your name. Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.